Welcome back to Balagan. A year has passed since COVID-19 hit the world. Israel, relatively, was one of the states hurt the most, at least in the OECD. Even though it has one of the best medical services in the world, Israel has one of the highest rates of deaths per capita, with 5,569 people died until February 21st. Is it the lack of strategy, rapid and random decision-making, and changing restrictions that made Israelis less and less tolerant to governmental guidelines? Or is it the political mess, lack of leadership, and distrust in Prime Minister Netanyahu himself and the cabinet? One thing is sure. After three quarantines with poor results restraining the virus, Israelis are less obedient, and it seems that the political mess hurt the public's trust. We have an indicted prime minister without a real lockdowns that are being held, with selective enforcement of the restrictions. What is happening in Israel? Today, I'm joined to have Nadan Feldman, who is a Haaretz correspondent on global economy, a PhD candidate in history at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and he's here with me to discuss this matter. So Nadan, welcome to Balagan. Hi, Kobe. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Thank you for joining us and enlightening us today. So you actually wrote an article at Haaretz and The Marker, which is the leading economical magazine in Israel, saying Israel's distrust in state institutions is turning into an existential trap. So what is going on in Israel? Tell us what you found. Yes. So uh, first of all, the sun is shining, and that's uh, perhaps the most important thing. To the better and worse, uh, I'm, I'm saying it because of the climate crisis. But under this Middle Eastern sun, during the past year, the basic trust of Israel is in the state and its uh, institutions shattered. And it has been shattered just when the people of Israel needed the state and the institutions more than ever because of the dramatically changing uh, life under the COVID-19 And over the past years, millions of Israelis have had to deal with particularly challenging combination of three interlocking crises, an unprecedented health crisis, a jolting economic crisis, and critical political crisis, which is only getting worse and has led to the people of Israel heading to fourth election uh, in two years. In two years. Yes. Yeah. And when you think and compare this um, phenomena to other cases in democracies over the past century, mainly among European states, we don't have to go to uh, Germany between 1932 and three that had four election rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, we yeah. can also uh, go to uh, Italy under Berlusconi, and France between the end of World War II until the stabilization yeah. during the 1950s. But obviously, this reflects how deep and dangerous the political climate has become in uh, Israel under uh, Netanyahu, which is focusing uh, these days in his bribery trial, not less than in trying and coping with the perhaps most challenging crisis that Israel has confronted uh, 
at least since uh, the Yom Kippur uh, War in 1973, all this seemed to be enough to undermine the basic trust of people living from one lockdown to the next in the governing institutions and in the prime minister and to make them uh, doubt that uh, those institutions can meet their basic needs in a national emergency such as uh, the one that we live in. This article was published this past weekend in Haaretz in English. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, you bring a lot of details. And the most astonishing one, I would say, is that the largest lack of trust is in the government and the police force. 84% of Jewish Israelis, let's say, based on the INSS research, shows that the IDF and the Shin Bet and the Mossad has the largest amount of faith. Then you have the Supreme Court with 43%, and then you have the police with only 34% of the people, and the government with 25% of the people, which means that it's not just the Netanyahu's opposition. It's also people that support Netanyahu, support the right or the Haredim. What can you tell us about it? After this year in Israel, one can ask, who are those 25% who still have trust in the Israeli government? And I say this also because, uh, you know, you have a list of ministers in the government. By the way, it's the biggest government by far in the history of Israel. 35 different ministers, okay? Yeah. And in the midst of a huge economic crisis, which reflects, you know, how alienated and disconnect the... The political the, sphere from the people. Yes, yeah, yeah, but uh, mostly the Likud party and its partners. But you have a list of ministers who vote in favor of all kinds of restrictions on the, on the, the people. people due to the uh, pandemic and during uh, the lockdown. And then they just... They don't uh, obey those restrictions. Exactly. They don't obey the restrictions. And obviously, they do it, uh, you know, under the radar, undercover, in secrecy. And then, time and time again, it has been uh, exposed. One of the examples is the Minister of Health, Yuli Edelstein. Okay. He threw threw uh, the party, the birthday party, to his wife. Right? And that was a day after he started his position in the Ministry of Health, okay? Just to show you how far and how alienated from the public and from being a role model for the citizens these people are today. This is just an example or two. There are just so many examples and reasons for the people of Israel just to lose their basic trust in the government. Another example, which is perhaps made the vast majority of the Israeli population uh, extremely mad, is, um, uh, how how should I uh, say it? Let's Uh, call it the ultra-Orthodox autonomy in Israel. (laughs) But when several groups and uh, major groups inside the ultra-Orthodox sector simply uh, refused to obey the lockdown, and they had the cooperation, first of all, of course, the ultra-Orthodox parties, 
who actually have enormous power in the coalition because without them, Netanyahu doesn't have a coalition and Netanyahu knows it. And Netanyahu is now under his uh, indictment. indictment. Yeah. So he knows that he cannot use uh, his power against them. So these groups received the cooperation of the ultra-Orthodox uh, political parties, and then the whole Netanyahu's coalition and the Likud party and the police, including several cases in which the police had signed a deal with, uh, you know, Hasidic uh, groups yeah. that they can continue to, uh, you know, have... Uh, mass weddings and mass uh, funerals like they did. Yes, and also the education system and the yeshivas. And this was between the Haredes uh, groups and the police. And at the same time, you see police officers in the heart of Tel Aviv, okay, in Dizingoff Square, which is to New Yorkers, perhaps I can say like... Uh, Union Square, I would say. Yeah, it's not Times like, Square. What, it's more what, like Union Square because what, it's for no, the no, younger... It's, no, it's more like Bryant Park. Oh, Bryant like Park. Bryant Park, yeah. yes. So at the same time, police officers, they... Yeah, um, they hand out tickets. They, uh, no, they not, do a selective not enforcement. Out. Not just handing out. There were a few videos that, you know, obviously were uh, shared enormously in the social media where you see a few uh, policemen beating up a young man who was sitting on a bench in Dizingoff Square, nobody around him. He was eating a sandwich, so he had to put his mask off, and they came to him and arrested him, like took him you know, with them to the police car. And once he understood the insane situation, he started to run from them, and then they caught him and just beat him up. So the average Israeli... At the, the same day, he can see, he watches this uh, video. And then a few minutes after, you know, when he scrolls his feed, he can see the mass funeral in uh, Bnei, Brak Bnei Brak of a big uh, rabbi who was 100 years old and died of COVID. Okay. What does the average Israeli think when he sees these two situations, okay? And what can he think when he understands the motives behind these two extreme, insane situations, okay? When he knows what uh, his prime minister is focused with when he wakes up in the morning, and when he knows the alliance between the prime minister, who is having his trial now, and between the ultra-Orthodox parties. So all this together, obviously, leads to a loss of basic trust among many Israelis in the government. And the result is the fact that even the police, okay, who much before... uh, Had a PR issue, (laughs) I would say. And conventionally, the police is not uh, the most awarded institution by the public. Yeah not only in Israel, but now the people have less trust in the government. And when you think, okay, 
who is the most important institution of the list that you mentioned earlier? You know, you, you have the IDF. Okay, important, but for me as a citizen, I don't have a daily involvement with the IDF, okay? And I don't need the IDF to give me all kinds of services, okay? Mossad and uh, Shabak, okay, it's understood. You know, we don't have, as citizens in a democracy, we don't think about the Shin Bet and the Mossad when we wake up in the morning. You have the Supreme Court, which is very important, but again, there is no... daily involvement of the Supreme Court in the life of the average of the Israeli. Yeah. Yes. And even the police. Okay. You need the police only in um, eccentric situations. Okay. Or if uh, you have neighbors that put loud music at uh, 12 at night, so you call the police. But the mm-hmm. government is the much more important institution than any of other. Course. And the government... is also the institution that is responsible for all the other institutions, a part of the Supreme yes. Court, which has an autonomy of its own. Of course, um, they are the executive branch. Exactly. They are the ones making the policies or the lack of policies. So I want to ask you two more questions because I know that you are uh, short on time. But yes. you are talking yes. about the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox. And the ultra-Orthodox, on one hand, You say that they have their autonomy and nobody is enforcing them anything with COVID. But on the other hand, in your article, you're also enlightening that they are the ones that have the biggest mistrust in the state's institutions. But that doesn't come from the COVID crisis, right? That's an ongoing situation. Yes, because first of all, you know, they obey the rabbis. You mentioned they uh, have uh, sort of a... cultural, religious, social autonomy of their own, they know and they see that the government is based on their political power. They see that the government doesn't use its power to break them or to uh, make them uh, obey the rules. So yeah. obviously this leads to the situation that I... Uh, told uh, a few minutes ago, but since the ultra-Orthodox, again, is not a democratic community in itself, and the people of this sector obey first and foremost their uh, rabbis, the rabbis. Yeah. and since the rabbis see themselves as, I don't want to say above the law, but... Uh, oh, but there's the authority. Indifferent, indifferent, yeah. in, yeah, the authority, a, but also indifferent to the law when there is a conjunction between the law of the states and between what the rabbi uh, think and say, most uh, of the Haredim will obey the rabbi. And uh, another important reason is the basic contradiction between democratic law state and democratic institutions, such as the uh, Supreme Court, okay, yeah. who has a democratic agenda, and between the undemocratic, patriarchic institutions of the ultra-Orthodox sector. And therefore, most of the ultra-Orthodox people have no trust in the democratic uh, institutions. And as long as... The Israeli coalition of the 
democratic state is based on the ultra-orthodox parties, Israel is in a dangerous process to become a more and more undemocratic state. Yeah. I know that we have a lot more to talk about, and we will continue the discussion, but I agree with you that it is a hard situation, and I think it's more connected to the debate of, you know, how should the Jewish state look like? Is it more Jewish religious-wise or more Jewish cultural-wise? And that's a debate that is for a different episode. I do want to ask you one last thing, if you can give us a closure. Did you see any light in your research when you did this article? You mean like a positive uh, angle? Yes. (laughs) The sun, the Israeli sun, which is uh, actually a problem of its own. But to tell you the truth, it's hard to find a positive angle other than, okay, it's not a result of what uh, the subject of the article, but the vaccination uh, operation. Obviously, Israel is perhaps leading Leading uh, in the world. Yes. And when I uh, look to the near future, I can say, okay, first of all, we can go out again from the lockdowns to some sort of... uh, Normal life. Normal life, (laughs) yes, one way or another. And also the winter is about to over in, in a few weeks. And perhaps... The elections are set on for um, March. March 23rd, yeah. And if Netanyahu will fall, then we can really celebrate. Well, that's also for a different topic. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you very much, Nadan, for joining me today. And thank you. I, thank you, the audience. And I want to tell you guys that if you have Hebrew speakers, relatives or friends in Israel... Look for Nadan's podcast. He's also a host of a podcast of his own called OK Boomer, doing exactly what we are doing here, but in Hebrew for Israelis to explain to them what's going on in American politics. So if you have any friends or family in Israel, you better recommend them to listen to it. I'll put it in the notes of our episode. And thank you very much for joining us and bye for now. Bye bye. Thanks, Kobe. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now and have a great day.